Many of you have asked me, what on earth am I going to preach on after 2 Samuel? In our reading from 2 Samuel, we meet Absalom riding in the forest on his way to unseat his father, David, from the throne. This comes after a series of other injustices. Absalom's sister, Tamar, is raped by David's firstborn, their half-brother, Amnon. Absalom comes up with a plan to find justice. He invites all of his brothers to come together for a feast. And when Amnon is drunk with wine, Absalom has his servants kill him. This, of course, grieves David. Absalom flees to his grandparents for safety. Yet this also grieves David, as now Absalom, also his son, is far from him. After a couple of years, Joab, David's nephew and a commander of David's army, learns of David's sadness and suggests that he might like to have Absalom come back. And David agrees but says that he can't come and see him. Absalom returns and waits a couple of years and begins to wonder why he has come back if he can't see his father anyway. Absalom keeps sending for Joab so that he might speak to David on his behalf, but Joab doesn't respond. So Absalom decides to burn down Joab's field which gets his attention and leaves him very angry after having helped Absalom return. So now there is an injustice against Joab. Eventually, Absalom starts rallying people around himself and against his father, saying things like, you would have justice if there was someone like me who would actually hear of it. And years pass, and he comes for David, which brings us to our reading. Absalom is riding in the forest, and David has his three armies surrounding Absalom's troops. As Absalom is riding around, his head gets caught in the limbs of an old oak tree. His mule rides out from beneath him, unseating him from his throne, leaving him hanging from the tree. And after receiving word of this, Joab comes and strikes him, but doesn't kill him. His soldiers come and finish the job, even though David told them from the beginning not to hurt him. News is sent to David. Standing, waiting at the gate, David sees the couriers and hopes for good news. There aren't storming troops, so perhaps Absalom is no longer coming after us. When the couriers arrive, he asks them, Is peace with Absalom? And the response comes, May it be with all those who rise up against you 
as it is with that young man, letting him know that Absalom, in Hebrew, Ab Shalom, Ab, the father of Shalom, the father of peace, has died. And David weeps. All of Absalom's sons have also died. And with them, the progeny of peace. No one is innocent in this. Not David, not any of the people involved, though all have been grieved. Justice was attempted to be found by one injustice after another until peace died. And so the story goes, more people were lost to the forest than by the sword. The forest laden with layers of meaning. The place where we get lost in the fog of war, lost in the thick of trying to mete out justice. The place where evil creeps. The place that picks us off one by one, the place contrary to the well-being of shalom. If only the forest could speak. Our reading from Ephesians is written to a people removed in time and space from a sense of being connected to the community of Israel. This community that witnessed and grieved the death of Shalom and yet still hoped for its return. The writer, a student of Paul, is trying to educate them on what it is to be a part of the community. And they do this by describing various edifying behaviors. You are not to lie to one another. That would be like lying to yourself. And we are members of one another. Stop making thieves of people. Let them work with their own hands. Let them have a sense of purpose. Let them contribute to the community. That is a part of well-being. Theirs and ours. Speak only what is useful for building up. Let go of bitterness and malice. Remember, anything you do, you are also doing to yourself, for we are one. As God's beloved children, carry forth your inheritance, the love, the well-being, and yes, the shalom of God. The letter transfers this memory, this understanding of being part of this community to a people who had forgotten or perhaps who were never taught. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a professor of environmental and forest biology and an indigenous woman, a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. 
In her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants, she braids together her scientific and indigenous ways of understanding the world. Toward the beginning, she writes about her experience teaching students. She gives them each a survey, asking them about how they understand the negative human impacts on the environment. They have no trouble describing this impact. However, when she asks them about the positive impacts humans have on the environment, the students struggle to imagine even one. She writes the book as an offering that we might recover a vision of our positive relationship. If we want to foster a sustainable, healthy relationship with the earth and with one another, we need to have a vision of what that looks like. The Potawatomi people understand humanity as the younger sibling of creation, who sometimes forget our need to learn from those who have been here longer than us. The animals, the plants, the tree people. In Potawatomi, what in English we would refer to as nouns and as inanimate objects, are verbs with animacy, with life and personhood. Instead of referring to the bay, we would refer to the water choosing to be a bay. She writes, to be a bay holds the wonder that for this moment, the living water has decided to shelter itself between these shores, conversing with cedar roots, and a flock of baby mergensers because it could do otherwise, become a stream or an ocean or a waterfall. And there are verbs for that too. To be a hill, to be a sandy beach, to be a Saturday. All are possible verbs in a world where everything is alive. Trees are known as standing people. Unlike the image of a forest hostile to life, Robin unearths an understanding of trees in community that are experts in symbiotic relationship. Trees survive in mutual flourishing. They survive by being in unity. And while we don't yet fully know how, trees do speak. Trees communicate with one another. When they are being attacked, if there is an insect infestation of moths eating all their leaves, or beetles burrowing under their skin, they send out pheromones that are carried downwind to other trees, warning them that they're being attacked, telling them to raise up their drawbridges and they then have time to create chemical defenses against the infestation. Their survival is linked to one another. 
And when they are fruit masting, when trees bear fruit, when pecan trees, for example, bear nuts, they don't do it every year. It takes a lot of energy and resources. Scientists have different theories about when and why the masting occurs. It could be connected to when the trees have an abundance of resources, or when it's been a particularly wet spring or a long growing season. Those theories don't quite explain it, though. Because when pecan trees fruit, it's not just one tree or one grove or one forest of groves. It's all the groves in a county and all the groves in a state. And they don't all have the same environment, yet they all choose to fruit the same year. And that fruiting then allows for an overabundance of nuts so that all the predators, the people and the squirrels who want to eat the nuts so they can survive the winter, there will be even more, enough to take root and grow into new trees. And even in our hoarding of the nuts, we humans and squirrels inevitably forget about some of the nuts, and they too have a chance to grow and bear more fruit. The trees that have done this, the trees that bear fruit in unity all at once, are the ones who continue to survive. Because we care about the nuts and the fact that the trees give us, we take care of the tree groves and we replant them as we move, as Robin's people moved from place to place. We are contributing to the tree's well-being in a symbiotic relationship. Instead of the forest being emblematic of danger or harm, their trees are a source of sustenance and life, and it is in their unity that they are enabled to survive, and that we are enabled to survive. Like the writer of Ephesians, trees remind us that our flourishing is mutual. The forest works for the well-being of the trees, the trees for the well-being of the forest. How quickly we forget the wisdom of the trees and the lessons of when the father of peace died. In the midst of a retreat this past week, learning about social injustices and the need for justice, for feminism, environmental, racial, and LGBTQ justice. Slipping into microaggressions persisted even by the most well-meaning in attendance. As described by one psychologist, microaggressions are those everyday hidden, yet hostile messages used to invalidate the group identity or experiential reality of target persons, to demean them on a personal or group level, 
communicate they are lesser human beings, suggest they do not belong with the majority group, threaten and intimidate or relegate them to inferior status and treatment. When we are hurting, we tend to tear one another down. In our discomfort, we try to assuage ourselves by shifting the focus of outsider to another. Perhaps you have had a moment of feeling clear, clear in who you are, at ease in your own skin, when all of a sudden, a coup arises to unseat you. And even if you were aware it was happening, perhaps you have experienced still being left off balance. Lost in the fog, feeling imbalanced and wanting to feel better, a rider has come and pushed you off balance too. It's as if they are saying, let's all be off-balanced together so I can feel like you're equal as an off-balanced person. In these moments, I wonder to myself, why don't you want to be my equal as a whole person? Must we always tear one another down to feel better? The trees teach us the way to preservation, to life, is through unity. For the well-being of us all is in mutual flourishing. My well-being supports yours, and yours, mine. If I am to honor the gift I was given as a life on this earth, I cannot give it away to make another comfortable. It is my protest for wholeness, my protest for peace, for justice, to be who I am, and to resist attempting to push another off balance in order to deal with my own unrest, to choose mutual flourishing as children of the ancestor of peace, children called both to see when peace has died and to continue in courage and in hope for its realization. May peace be with you. Amen.